0: Good evening to all my wonderful listeners, and welcome to episode one of the Historian Weekly Podcast. Historian is not just another boring old textbook, rather, it is a revolution. It is a forum where we come to discuss the history behind current events and look at them through a modern magnifying glass. We live in a golden age, an age where we transcend old ideas such as physical borders, and an age where everyone has a voice. I'm your host, Yaniv Mazin, history fanatic for 12 years, recording from London in the United Kingdom, which for once is sunny. In this week's episode, the two Koreas seem to be on the verge of striking one of the most important agreements in modern history. How did they get into this situation in the first place? Let's find out. Oh yeah, ladies and gentlemen, let's make some history. So, Korea then. It's hard to know where to start a nation on a tiny peninsula that built 2,000 years of their own specific identity, language and culture and have also endured foreign influence, wars, famine and much suffering in order to get to where they are today. But why did they split? And how did we get into the situation where a nation of the same people in the same language are split so badly that they have to come to an agreement not to pretty much nuke each other? I think the best place to start would be with the Korean annexation by Japan in 1910. In 1910, Japan took over the Korean peninsula because they needed to expand and gain more resources and cheap labor for their empire, and Korea was pretty much the closest target. So when Japan took over, they abolished the Korean currency, and they were pretty much under the complete control of the peninsula. They set about destroying palaces, castles, temples, and removed much of the emperor's dynasty, which was ruling there for hundreds of years, and replaced it by their own governmental office. After Emperor Gojong, sorry for any Korean listeners who I'm butchering his name, I'm sure, passed away, uh, rumors of Japanese poisoning and independence ran amok, anti-Japanese sentiment was everywhere, and rallies were taking place, which culminated at the time at the March the First rally, in which 7,000 Koreans were killed by Japanese soldiers or personnel. Now, we must remember that these protests were peaceful. Two million people actually took part in them after Woodrow Wilson's speech, which declared that all nations should have independence, although the Japanese ignored it. So these rallies came and came and came until they culminated in 1929 by the student uprising. The Japanese, instead of heeding to their subjects' pleas, actually strengthened military rule in Korea and began cracking down on them with huge force. For example, Korean culture itself began to be illegal. Worship at Japanese Shinto shrines was made... Mandatory. Korean culture was banned, the teaching of Korean in schools was banned, and Koreans were forced to adopt Japanese first names and surnames. This especially became harder and harder for Koreans after the Japanese invaded China in 1937 to keep on expanding their empire. Their racial supremacy came into full force against the Korean population. So in 1945, the Japanese lost the war and were nuked to smithereens in two places and the japanese ran away from korea with their tail between their legs but that left a question what to do with the newly independent korea is it uh, to be split like germany or is it to be given full independence immediately well the allies and china decided to split it amongst themselves china and the soviet union took the north and the allies the allied powers took the south Korean independence was to be recognized in due course, I'm quoting here. The UN recognized the Republic of Korea, which is now the government of South Korea, as the only legitimate representative of the Korean people in 1948, when the question was posed to them after the US and Soviets could not agree on anything, as usual. Now we have another problem. We have an ideological split. What to do? Is it going to be a capitalist democratic south, or is it going to be a communist Soviet-supported north? The Koreans tried to form a provisional government, even trying to create a coalition, but they were thwarted at every single turn by government officials squabbling like they do in every government pretty much. In 1950, on June the 23rd to be specific, the North crossed the 38th parallel, which was the border between them, and invaded the South, thus ending any hope of peaceful solution for the Korean peninsula. Now, if we actually look at this more closely, at that time, North and South Korea were not very different from each other. The leader of North Korea, Kim Il-sung, was actually very similar to the leader of South Korea, Sigmund Rhee. Sigmund Rhee was also a dictator installed by the West. He was not democratically elected. And he also uh, caused brutal repressions for anyone who was a suspected communist. They fought and they fought and two million people died at least on each side. And... Uh, on the 27th of July 1953, an armistice was signed. However, neither country actually signed a peace treaty. They both returned to their old borders after massive loss of life, but the Korean War never actually ended. Sigmund Rhee, out of spite for the USA for not actually finishing the job and taking over the North like he wanted to, never actually let a formal peace treaty be- to be formalized. It's not known if Kim Il-sung actually wanted to do a peace treaty, but I digress. So now we have a situation which persists to this day, kind of. Uh, A communist government was installed in the north, backed by the Soviets under Kim Il-sung, and Syngman Rhee became the first president of South Korea. Both of them autocratic dictatorships, both of them with very weak economies, and both of them trying desperately to prove that the other one is illegitimate. The situation actually continued until the late 80s, and for a while, during the 50s and 60s, backed by the Soviets, the North's economy was doing better than the South. The North's GDP was higher, and the people were actually having a higher standard of living. The South was actually going from dictator to dictator. There was no democracy, no liberal economy, and no freedom of speech. There were brutal repressions just like the North, so in that case, the North was actually gaining legitimacy because it was doing okay. This all changed in 1987, where the South decided to become a democracy and liberalize its economy, becoming a world power extremely quickly. Their growth rate was actually almost unmatched by any country in the world, except for Japan at the time. South Korea became much closer to the United States and to Japan, even though they don't really like each other. And their economy boomed. Their standard of life skyrocketed. Meanwhile, the North was in huge decline. And Kim Il-sung's son, Kim Jong-il, had a a big mountain to climb. His people were starving and the economy really wasn't going anywhere. They were still living in the 1950s. There was no cars, no phones, nothing. You only had a car if you had a government official. Now the disparity begins. What is Kim going to do? He still doesn't know. The people were starving, and the South was doing really well, so what he did was actually created a bigger and more repressive regime, created a cult personality around himself, presenting himself as a sort of demigod, After the Soviet Union collapsed in 1991, the situation in the North got much worse. They no longer had the financial assistance they needed, and China was their only real supporter. And China has 1.7 billion mouths to feed, and they also now have North Korea to deal with. China pretty much is ignoring them, so that means the North Korean people have to fend for themselves, becoming the so-called hermit kingdom, closed off from the rest of the world, not wanting to create relations, and instead brooding and scheming over its nuclear weapons program. Now, I mention the nuclear weapons program because here we have a problem. A dictator who claims legitimacy for himself has the world's strongest weapon. The South is threatened. China is threatened. Japan is threatened. The whole world is threatened by a very strong dictator's regime. So now we come to the present day situation where instead of the South and the North firing propaganda at each other, the North probably realized that China is not going to continue supporting them further. And in this case, they need to reach a negotiation with the South and to deal with the South in order to save their own face and gain their own legitimacy. Meanwhile, the South, this could only benefit them economically as they will have a peaceful northern border, hopefully. If this historic agreement actually happens, it will be a momentous occasion, ending a war that has been going on officially since 1950. But this doesn't mean that the Koreans are going to be reunified. Oh, both governments will still remain and the two countries will still remain because they're so different from one another but look at the history foreign occupation has once again caused a nation to split and a people to split into two polar opposite ideologies which can might not be able to be reunited ever so in order for us as people who like history to figure out the next steps for these two very powerful countries we need to look at the history of what happened there Foreign occupation, cultural cleansing, and still maintaining their own identity, still cause them to split. And the question is now, how is this this, uh, negotiation going to play out, and will they actually reach a deal? We'll only find out soon enough. Well, ladies and gentlemen, the first episode of the Historian Weekly Podcast has come to an end. Let me thank you from the bottom of my heart for listening to the first episode of what is hopefully many to come. And thank you very much for taking an interest in history and how it affects our modern lives and how we can improve ourselves as the human race. You can find me on the Facebook page, which is just called Historian, or visit the website, historian.net, and please don't hesitate to leave any comments or questions, and I would really like to get to them in the next episode. Again, thank you so much for listening. I'm Yaniv Mazin, and have a good week, everybody.